this is Annie. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today we're going to tackle a topic um, that has been on both Bridget and I's minds lately, which is pansexuality. Um, and wanted to say right off the bat that sexuality varies from person to person. It's the label that people choose that they feel identifies them best. And there are not really set rigorous definitions for a lot of this. So we don't all fall neatly into categories, and that's totally cool and quite rad. Um, just want to say that out the right out the front. So we're going to be working with um, a lot of stuff that Glad has provided, um, and people who identify the definitions that they have come up with at, for pansexual. But um, it is different, and the definition is is not not yet set in stone, perhaps. <laughs> and the reason that Bridget and I have been thinking about this a lot lately is because it's been it's been making the rounds in the news. It has. Um, pretty recently, one of my idols, I guess I could say, I mean, obsession slash idol, uh, Janelle Monet, came out in an interview as pansexual, which was really, really exciting. And as soon as she did, she sort of broke the internet with this announcement. The word pansexual became the number one search term on the Merriam-Webster website in under 24 hours. That's how much of an internet breaker this revelation was because... One, I think anything that Janelle Monet does will always garner interest because she's awesome. Two, I think people were thinking, well, what the heck is this pansexuality thing? Yes, exactly. And on the nerdy side of things, I feel like I'm on the weather report. And here on the nerdy side of things. <laughs> womp, 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 nerd report, nerd report. <laughs> exactly. Donald Glover and the writers of his Lando Calrissian character made news as well by saying that that character was pansexual. I remember the day that we first decided to do this episode. It, it really crystallized <laughs> our various roles or, or beats, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. You were like, oh, we should talk about pansexuality because, and I very excitedly said, Janelle Monet, dirty computer? <laughs> and you said, yes, and Lando Calrissian from Star Wars. <laughs> It was a very nice moment that crystallized, I think, um, how we approach the same topic in different ways. Exactly. Um, and uh, other celebrities have made news uh, coming out as pansexual as well, like Miley Cyrus, Lacey Green, Jazz Jennings, Sia, and Angel Hayes. Um, so let's 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 start with a definition that um, Glad has provided. According to GLAD, pansexual, um, sometimes called omnisexual, falls under the umbrella of bisexual, bi or bi plus, and they define it as anyone attracted to people of all genders or sexes or regardless of sex or gender. The prefix pan means all at its Greek roots, so it makes sense. Men, women, androgynous, transgender, intersex, anything in between. So one of the things I love about this idea of pansexuality is that, you know, it really kind of allows for folks who don't want to think about their attraction along that binary of I'm attracted to men or women or both. It sort of allows for this idea that you could be attracted to folks all along that spectrum, and that's okay. I'm glad to see our, our understanding of attraction sort of catching up with where it needed to be. Yeah, I am too. And a lot of people ask, well, how is this different from bisexuality? 
And there is a lot of confusion around the difference between bisexuality and pansexuality. And some people use the terms interchangeably to mean pretty much the same thing. Janelle Monet herself labeled herself as bisexual until learning more about pansexuality. In her interview with Rolling Stone, she said, Being a queer black woman in America, someone who has been in relationships with both men and women, I consider myself to be a free-ass mother Later, I read about pansexuality and was like, oh, these are things that I identify with too. I'm open to learning more about who I am. Yeah, I love that. I, I think I, I really identify with that. Um, I've always, this sounds so cheesy, but I've always said, you know, I'm not someone who was attracted to a specific gender. I'm, I sort of fall for a person. So whether that person is a man, a woman, non-binary. Um, and I don't think we've had the language to sort of describe that. And I think for myself, queer sort of became a catch-all where for me it was almost sort of a crutch of laziness where it's like I don't actually feel like I want to parse through the who, what, when, where of my attraction and and I don't know that I could. So we'll just call it this and keep it moving. We don't need to parse (laughs) every little aspect of it. Um, But yeah, having a word that you can learn about and dig into that feels like it, you can express yourself that way, is really empowering. I think that's what Janelle is sort of expressing in that interview, that learning more about your own sexuality and your own attraction um, is an empowering thing. Oh, absolutely. And I um, am such a proponent for just having, I think having these words and increasing our terminology when it comes to sexuality is good because it, once again, I think we've just for so long thought that you can neatly put people in categories, but I don't think that you really can. And it, I feel like if we're, as long as we're keeping this conversation moving forward and trying to find new ways to, new new terms to identify with, and we're talking about it, I think that can only be a good thing to get away from this kind of, you are in this category or this category, there's only these categories. I'm glad to see that we're moving away from that. Um, but... If we look at bisexuality, GLAD gives us this definition. Anyone attracted, sexually, romantically, or otherwise, to people of more than one gender or to people of similar different genders and who identifies as bisexual. In the words of advocate Robin Oakes, someone who is bi has, quote, the potential to be attracted romantically and or sexually to people of more than one sex and or gender, not necessarily at the same time, not necessarily in the same way, and not necessarily to the same degree. The president of the Bisexual Resource Center's board of directors, Karen Estrop, says on the topic, pansexual came out of the complication people had with bi, implying binary. And remember, Facebook, Facebook has almost 60 gender options, and gender is fluid. The difference between bisexual and pansexual is mostly a question of gender identity, and gender doesn't factor into the equation for pan people. And we're going to talk a bit more about that in a second, for sure. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah, there is a lot to unpack. But I mean, we could do an entire episode on bisexuality. And I want to. And Kristen and Caroline did one on bi erasure that is absolutely worth checking out. Sexologist Carol Queen spoke with Vogue that uh, actually she said, according to her, there is no real definition of pansexuality. People who identify as pansexual, she says, quote, do not desire everybody. They just don't rule somebody out because of gender. 
which is a big misconception that pansexual people have an insatiable sex drive, and that's why they identify as pan. Yeah, this is really speaking to my soul right now because um, that sounds like me, that I don't rule people out based on gender. I think it's about the person and sort of how you vibe together and all of that, all of that like hippie stuff. Yeah. Um, but there is this attitude. I think that folks who identify as bisexual probably get it too, where people think, oh, you're just a slut <laughs> or like, oh, yeah. you just can't decide or, yeah. oh, you're confused or, oh, you have an insatiable sex drive or, oh, all of these things that are really negative and really sort of, none of it is true. Not that you, not that, I mean, I'm sure there are some slutty bisexuals out there. But, sure. You know, as as a definition, you know, thinking that you identify that way just because you are have an overactive sex drive or that you are just greedy and want all the genders or something, I think it paints a really unfair portrait of something that is very intimate and personal to who people are. Yeah, and I read... Um, so many accounts of people who, both from people who identify as pan and bi, that they have trouble in relationships where people think that they're just in a phase mm-hmm. and that they'll grow out of it, um, which is incredibly frustrating. Yeah, that is frustrating. And the idea that if you are someone who is bi or pan or queer, that if you Let's say that you're a woman and you date a man. You don't become not pansexual. You don't be, or you, you could marry a man and you could still be queer. Yeah. You know, and that people seem to think that I, I've dealt with that so much, where people think, well, you were in a relationship with a man for two years, and you know those those feelings don't go away based on like if you're single, does that mean you aren't anything? No, you know, right. it's like you ha- like your sec- your relationship with your sexuality is. For first and foremost, a relationship with yourself, and I hate how we put labels on it based on who you outwardly present to be dating. Yeah, I hate that. I do as well. And also, people never know. Like you could be—I mean, people people don't know what kind of situation you have in yeah. your life. If they see you holding hands with a guy on the street, like they don't know the situation. No, they don't. Yeah, I remember a crystallizing moment for young Annie. I was watching a panel, and I, I don't remember how sexuality came up in this panel, but it did. And it was like a man asking one of the panelists a question and I, he got kind of defensive and he was like, well, I'm, I'm completely straight. See, that's my wife over there. And the panelist said, that doesn't mean you're straight. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yes. I wonder if he thought, wait, am I straight? <laughs> in the back of his head, <laughs> he was like, I've got to re-examine everything. <laughs> um. It is worth saying, though, that people who identify as bi are not looking to reinforce a strict gender binary. And a lot of folks do claim both labels. Alil Cruz wrote an advocacy piece at bisexual.org that came with this quote, Bisexuality isn't binary. It means attraction that isn't limited to one gender. If that sounds very similar to the definition of pansexual, that's because it is. So again, a lot of this is not set in stone. Bi does not stand for binary. Some folks that identify as pan still label themselves as bi to combat that bi erasure we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, sex therapist Liz Powell commented um, sometimes on sometimes getting grief for identifying as bisexual. Quote, 
they're like, you're reinforcing the gender binary. And I'm like, that's not actually what bisexual means. Just the way pansexuality doesn't mean that you're attracted to cookware. (laughs) It doesn't? (laughs) What? (laughs) She goes on, if you're someone who chooses bisexual as the identity that fits you best, then that's totally fine. There are lots of people who are non-binary who are bisexual. It doesn't mean you are reinforcing the gender binary. It doesn't mean that you are less enlightened than pan folks. There's no identity that makes you automatically more enlightened. It's just about which identity aligns best with who you are and how you work. Um, And I did really want to make sure to drive that home because I feel like bisexual people get enough enough grief. Grief. Yeah. Definitely. (laughs) Absolutely. Leave bisexual people alone. They're like, be nice to them. Don't be mean to them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's so true. And honestly, Liz's quote, I think, speaks to so much of things I've seen where some folks act like certain labels make you more enlightened or more hip or more whatever. And, you know, it's just, it's about what works for the person and what feels right for the person. And so I have people be like, oh, well, you know, if you're if you're not poly, then, you know, you're just part of the bourgeoisie and you're, <laughs> you know, you're not really hip. And I, yeah, it's about what works for the couple, what works for the person, what feels right for the individual. I just hate how sometimes we forget that these relationships are very intimate and personal and that we try to make assumptions about who people are um, based on how they identify. Yeah, yeah. Um, Another quote from the vice president of Binet USA, um, Faith Chettleham, as a person who identifies as pansexual and bisexual, I'm openly flaunting my attractions to more than one group of people while also expressing and loving myself through a pansexual lens that feels different for me. Free-ass mother if you will, when it comes to my expression and experience of my own gender queerness and of myself as an intersex woman and femme. So again, it's very personal for each person. It is, it's such a intimate, personal thing. And people who identify as bi face enough stigma from both within and without the LGBTQ community and it's something we should do a whole episode on. I, I just wanted to be very clear that people who identify as bi can absolutely be attracted to non-binary folk. Absolutely. And just to sort of piggyback off of that, I think that I, I'm excited to do an episode around biphobia, but it is important to note that people who are bi face stigma from within other queer communities. And so it's it's facing stigma from the world at large for being a marginalized person, but then within your own, you know, in-group of queer folks, sometimes they face biphobia. And it's real and it's really harmful. Yeah, yeah. Several studies suggest that anywhere from 40 to 50% of the LGBTQ community identify as bi. And yes, we absolutely do not see that reflected in media at all. At all. Pretty much never. Or... If it is, it's in the weirdest oh, way. They're probably going to murder you. Yeah, because they're crazy. Exactly. <laughs> they can't even decide who they like. Yeah. Of course they're going to murder you. Yes, they're going to murder. It's going to be kind of an apartment situation, some kind of weird apartment situation. And they're going to murder the boyfriend and then also the girlfriend. You actually just described one of my favorite movies, um, which is Single White Female. Actually, any <laughs> genre of movie, fun fact about me, yeah. any genre of movie where it's two women and one woman wants to, is like obsessed with the other and maybe wants to take her life, but it's also sexualized. Like maybe she's in love with her. (laughs) 
Okay. All, uh, always in. Bridget there's so is many. There. There's the hand that rocks the cradle. Single white female obsessed. Like all of, I've seen. If it's if it's that kind of movie, um, I saw one called Unforgettable with Rosario Dawson. Saw it by myself in the theater, two p.m. on a Tuesday, and I was like in heaven. <laughs> you were living your best. Life. Yes. <laughs> there's not there's not a sexual undertone to that movie, but it, it is a crazy person who wants to take the life of another woman mm-hmm. movie. Okay, so if I ever need, if I never, ever need any questions answered about those types of films. I'm a walking encyclopedia. I know who to call. <laughs> um, as far back as 1991, Buy Magazines ran a manifesto stating that there was, um, there were more than two genders. From the manifesto, quote, Bisexuality is a whole fluid identity. Do not assume that bisexuality is binary or duogamous in nature, that we have two sides or that we must be involved simultaneously with both genders to be fulfilled human beings. In fact, don't assume that there are only two genders. Do not mistake our fluidity for confusion, irresponsibility, or inability to commit. Do not equate promiscuity, infidelity, or unsafe sexual behavior with bisexuality. Those are human traits that cross all sexual orientations. Nothing should be assumed about anyone's sexuality, including your own. Here, here. Yeah. I love that. That's, I mean, it's, and it's so true, and we all do it. And I think, yeah, you see it in pop culture. You see it reflected so often where folks who are bisexual or pansexual, it's just this idea that, oh, it's a freewheeling sex party all the time. Yeah. And, you know, it's just so backward. Yeah, a lot of the negative stereotypes they point out in that manifesto, promiscuity, infidelity, unsafe sexual behavior, like, you shouldn't make those assumptions. But they do cross all sexual orientations. You should not make those assumptions based on what people choose to identify as. Well, I was even, I was filling out this, um, I don't know if this is maybe is like TMI, I was filling out this this health survey Basically, they ask you all these different questions to try to figure out how risky you your sexual behavior is. And one of the questions that, that they ask that makes your sort of sexual STD risks, you know, answer go up is, do you have sex with only one gender? And if you say, if you on this particular test, if you said, no, I have sex with m- more than one gender, that gave you a higher sort of unsafe practices score, which mm-hmm. I thought was really strange because... Just because you get down with more than one gender doesn't mean that you are having unsafe sex necessarily. It was just such a strange assumption. That is very bizarre. Yeah. I wonder if that is kind of... I, I would love to hear the reasoning for that. If there is anything, anything legitimate behind it at yeah, all. Yeah, it could, it could very well be one of those things where there's a statistical yeah. you know, correlation. There was a couple of other questions that I did find strange, like, do you have anal sex? And I thought, you know... Again, just because you're like you could very well be having protected anal sex all the time, that one sex act in my mind I thought does that really equate to higher risk behavior because you it still could be protected sex that you're having or sex you're having with a monogamous partner. Right. It just it's just interesting how even when we think about the medical profession how assumptions about our uh, sexual health are made via how we identify and who we have sex with. And I guess it's true when, you know, for, like, gay men can't even donate blood in this country. And that's that's based on nothing. So yeah. it, I think our our medical industry has not caught up with common sense, you know, that says, yeah, just because I'm a man who sleeps with men doesn't mean that I'm, my blood is is automatically no good when people need blood. Yeah. Yeah, we need to 
<laughs> we need to uh, work on changing that. Um, that's ridiculous. Uh, another note, people who identify as bi and or pan sometimes also, or maybe instead, identify as queer. A study reported on in Psychology Today found that pansexual people, quote, overwhelmingly re- represented their sexual or romantic attractions as falling within the bisexual range of the sexual continuum. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of crossing over. Um, a lot of people claim multiple labels. Um, and... Yeah, that doesn't mean that I, the terms can't be used interchangeably. Some people who are almost exclusively straight or exclusively gay also identify as pansexual. And one more thing before we move on, something we need to say but really shouldn't have to. It is a misconception, a small one, but some people do think this, uh, <laughs> that pansexuality includes things like bestiality, pedophilia. It doesn't. Yeah. Oh, I, It makes me sad that we have to say that, but I yeah. know that we do... I mean, um, not, yeah, our audience, probably not, but yeah. Someone out there thinks that. Not not listening to this show, I hope. God, if it's yeah. you listening to this show, you know. Hopefully, sort, <laughs> hopefully yeah. we'll get you on the right track. <laughs> yeah. But like, sort your, sort your shit out. But, right. Um, yeah, I'm glad that you mentioned that. <laughs> Just because I've seen that. I've seen that before. Like, I mean, we hear that argument and, and it's I, baseless. Yeah, when people were making... Arguments about marriage equality. Yeah, they would say like, "What's next? Am I going to marry a duck?" You yeah. mean what? Yeah. First of all, the fact that you that you went there, I think, says something. But you know, no, that's not what people are talking about. Yeah, it's just such a frustrating and uh, like not even. Why are we even talking about that? Like, <laughs> there's some a lot of people racing to get married to ducks. I don't think so. Um, so on their site, Glad includes quotes of celebrities that have come out as pansexual to try to paint a better picture of what it means. So for instance, Jazz Jennings describes it this way. Being pansexual basically means to me that you are attracted to anyone, no matter their sex, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, everything. There's no limits. I'll date anyone. It's more that I love someone for their soul. Physically, I think I'm more attracted to boys, but sometimes I'm attracted to girls too. So it's weird. Yeah. I love that. I, I, love, I love that she's just like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It just is what it is, it I guess. It is what it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, I, what I like about what Jazz says is it really kind of reflects that you maybe don't have to have this all figured out and maybe it'll change. Maybe, maybe Jazz is attracted to boys more and at some point it'll be attracted to girls more and it'll go back and forth. Like, I think that we have been conditioned that you have to be hard and fast about who you are attracted to. And I really appreciate when people model that you don't have to have it all figured out and that it's a fluid thing and it can change and that's okay. I do too, yeah. Another musician who I love, Angel Hayes, she says, to kind of identify as pansexual to me means just to want love, to have a connection with anyone you can find it with. Love is boundaryless. If you can make me feel, if you can make me laugh, and that's hard, then I can be with you. And again, yes, right? Just this idea that not everybody feels the need to put boundaries on who they vibe with. And it's really about sort of if you click with a person regardless of gender. Yeah. The first openly non-binary TV actor, Asia Kate Dillon, who also identifies as pansexual, told the Huffington Post, quote, from the time I came to understand sex and sexual orientation and all of that, I've identified as pansexual, and I've always felt like I had the spiritual, emotional, physical capability of being attracted to any gender. Um, so those are some real-life 
real-life people who identify as pansexual. And when we get back, we're going to talk about some fictional characters who do. But first, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Uh, According to Flair.com, 2016 was a big year. Not only was it the year that Donald Trump was elected, it was also the year that they called, quote, the golden age of the pansexual TV character. They referenced characters like David on the CBC comedy Schitt's Creek, who most people assumed he was gay, but then later it was revealed on the show that he was open to any sex or gender. And it wasn't really treated like a very special episode. It was just sort of a nonchalant thing. Another character who I love, one of my favorite characters on TV, I'm going to go ahead and call her a friend of the show, even though she doesn't know who we are, (laughs) I don't think. Um, Alana Glazer on Broad City, she, you know, if you watch that show, her character pretty much gets down with everybody, including um, her own doppelganger in one episode and a a, a person who looks exactly like her. Um, Yeah, and so, and it's not treated as anything that's like a big deal on the show. It's just who she is, um, and it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, again, here I come on the on the nerdier side of things. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about some Lando Calrissian, wonderfully played by Donald Glover in the new Star Wars movie, Solo. Before the movie came out, Glover made a bit of a splash when he confirmed that what many fans already suspected, that his Star Wars character was pansexual. Um, the film's co-writer, Jonathan Kasdan, similarly told HuffPo that, in his mind, Lando was pansexual. Quote, I mean, I would have loved to have gotten a more explicitly LGBT character into this movie. I think it's time, certainly, for that, and I love the fluidity, sort of the spectrum of sexuality that Donald appeals to and that droids are a part of. Because, yes, in outer space... I mean, these are working definitions of fictional characters, but in outer space, being pansexual includes droids. Lando had a relationship-ish with, um, or at the very least feelings for, his partner droid, L337. A review for the film called them the hottest couple in Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) So, Annie, forgive my Star Wars ignorance, what is a droid? Just so we're all using On the, the same same, same working definition. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> that's actually a really good question because since I would say it's a humanoid robot that um, has pretty much in Star Wars in the Star Wars universe has a personality, um, but some of them are essentially walking trash cans especially from the older movies. Like, I mean, they were literal trash cans with feet on them because they didn't have much money. So that's what a droid was. The droids didn't have much money? No. The, the directors? Films. Okay. The like, droids these, didn't have any money, these, probably. These poor droids. They were just, they, all they could afford was trash cans for their body because they yeah. times were tough. Probably. I mean, the, the, probably both. A little bit of both is true. Um. So I was thinking, uh, the first definition I came up with, it would be more of a humanoid type droid, but not all of them are humanoid at all. So, you know, Bridget, you've given me some nerd research to do and I will happily do it. Yeah, report back. We'll do an update to the episode. An update. What are droids? <laughs> Where do they clear. fall on the spectrum of sexuality and gender, Annie? We must know. We must know. Um, well, whatever they are, uh, in space, pansexuality 
on top of including them, probably also includes other humanoids and species. But since we haven't encountered these things in the real world yet, um, yeah, we're, we're working on it. It's a working definition. Doctor Who's Jack Harkness is another sci-fi example. Um, if there's a limit to who and what he'll flirt with, to my recollection, he has not shown it. Is he like a male Alana Alana from Broad City? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's just pretty much like anybody, anything. That that's his that's his personality, and he has embraced it. Um, and it's more of the stuff we talked about in fan fiction, because I will take any excuse to talk about <laughs> fan fiction. I am not ashamed um, with the homoerotic tension between Han and Lando. Lando does call Han baby at one point, and I thought nothing of it, but I was reading these articles and people were like, see, look at this. Um, there are debates about whether the ship should be called Hando, Solarisian, Han Lando, these names mash up really nicely. They do, and we all know that is a sign of whether or not a relationship is going that to work. That shows real compatibility. It does. Um, and I did read a fan fiction again for this. The authors of the very first Han Lando... Han, I, it's funny because you can say Han Lando. Han and Land, Lando or oh, I guess, Lando. Wait, Lando doesn't work because that's his name. Hondo yeah. would have to be the only one that works, right? That's the only one. Well, Solarisian... Thus, both their last names. We're getting into semantics here. <laughs> we really don't need to. Um, <laughs> the first Han... <laughs> see, I can't decide how to say it. Han Londo slash on the fanfiction site AO3, the 1997 What Shall We Do With a Drunken Soldier? Written before AO3 was even a thing. The authors of that were interviewed at Polygon. Um, flirting does not necessarily mean a character is queer. Yes. If you remember our episode on queer cinema, queer media, um, this is a common, I guess, problem trope in media, queer baiting, where, you know, you get a little bit of flirtation between two characters and you think, oh, is this character queer? Are they gay? What's going on? And it's never really resolved or dealt with. And so it's just a little bit of a tease that you might get something on screen and you don't. Yeah, I think I read one of the articles I read that was really critical of this was saying it's basically a way for marketers who are scared of losing audience by having someone who is explicitly LGBTQ. Um, it's a way to, like, get more money by basically saying, maybe you'll get this, so come see this movie. Like, it, it's a way to cover all of your bases without frightening anyone away. Which That's is, so cowardly. It really is. Also, in 2018, if you're the kind of person who would not watch a movie or a show because there's a, a queer character, you don't deserve TV. Yeah. I feel like you should... Yeah, and we shouldn't be making it based on that. Yeah, we shouldn't be... That's not a demographic that I think anyone should be going after. No. Agreed. Yeah, and this is a problem with a lot of these fictional, or at least the ones that I've been talking about, um, fictional portrayals of pan characters, is that they're pretty vague and ambiguous in the movie. Um it's not very conclusive. Um, and another Star Wars thing, uh, hearkening back to our, um, our the whole episode we did on Star Wars, Laura Dern's character, Admiral Holdo, she was written as a queer character in the officially sanctioned book that was tied into The Last Jedi film, but that wasn't in the movie. Like, that was news to me because I haven't read the book, so I, I've just seen the movie and I didn't know that. Um, from the book, Amelin is Holdo, Holdo's first name, Quote, 
a pair of pretty dark eyes. Then Amelin thought about that for a moment. Or more than a pair if you're into grands or aqualish or talls or even... That's all right, Leia said through laughter. It's just humanoid males for me. Really? That feels so limiting. Thank goodness it's a big galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I wish I, I would have loved to have seen that on the screen, that interaction. Jeffrey Bloom over at Slate wrote, quote, Though undoubtedly sincere, Kazan's wish to include a, quote, more explicitly LGBT character joins a long and tiresome history of writers and directors who profess a desire for inclusion, but an inability or unwillingness to confront the forces that prevent it. Does Kazdan have the power to do this? Probably not. Should he then be so quick to declare a character part of a sexual minority when his movie is too busy or profit-driven or etc. to have that character actually be part of the sexual minority? He should not. Interesting. What do you think about that? I think I agree, but I do think that at least we are having these conversations and moving that way. Like, progress is too slow. But with big companies like Disney involved, I think that it's going to take a lot of pushing. And I'm excited that we are pushing it that way. Like, this is, I believe, Rogue One had the first... LGBTQ person in it at all. That came out in like 2016. So at least we're (laughs) slowly moving in that direction. Um, I do wish that we could get some more explicit characters that are like explicitly, you can, there's no ambiguity. You leave knowing, okay, yes. And it doesn't have to be, like like we talked about in the Star Wars episode, where she's just a, like, a strong female character without trying to be a strong female character. Right. Like, I don't want that kind of... I want representation of, like, real human characters that are well-written, and this is just a part of who they are. Yeah. It's funny that you put it that way, because one of my favorite movies and also favorite books is A Color Purple by Alice Walker. And in the book, it's very clear that the two main female characters in the book... Um, Celie and Suge Avery are having a sex, like an explicit sexual and romantic relationship. You read that book, and it is very, very clear that's what's going down. In the movie, you get the sense that they're having a sexual relationship, and there's one scene where Suge has her hand like on a table, and Celie puts her hand on top of it, and they sort of look at each other, and it fades. And at the, in this scene, they've been trying on, like, Suge is a dancer, like a nightclub dancer, and they've been trying on her sexy clothes. And mm-hmm. so the, the audience is left to think, oh, that was a meaningful, a meaningful gesture. And at the end of the movie, they're very close. But again, it's like this way of kind of getting to claim showing this on screen, but not really doing it. Another another movie that's very similar and book that's very similar is Fried Green Tomatoes, where um, Ruth and Iggy Threadgood, in the book, it's clear that they're having a sexual relationship or that it's a movie about women who have romantic feelings for each other. In the movie, they sort of hint at it again because the yeah. one character, Iggy, is masculine and plays poker and wears men's clothing and is having this really close relationship with Ruth, who is very feminine and blah, blah, blah. But it's it's sort of this weird sort of getting to claim that you're doing something yeah. for reflecting queer stories on screen while not actually reflecting queer stories on screen. Because you know what? 12-year-old Bridget could not fantasize about 
Seely's hand on Shug Avery's hand. That wasn't enough. <laughs> I, I needed like a real story. You needed fan fiction. Yeah, I, I'm sure there is Seely Shug Avery color purple fan fiction out there somewhere. Someone oh. is writing that for sure. Oh, I have n- zero doubt. Zero doubt. <laughs> um, the creators of Deadpool similarly have claimed the title character is pansexual, and in the comic books, yeah, he pretty much is. Um, but in the movies, it comes across as a very easily dismissible joke. Like, he's only ever seen with women in all of the jokes. Yeah, it's just jokes mostly. Do you ever watch that show Rick and Morty? I do. So sort of on that same kind of level, um, the creators of that show said that Rick is pansexual. So basically, um, Rick's ex-girlfriend, Unity, played by Christina Hendricks, can sort of embody anybody on this entire planet where she lives and rules. And so throughout the episode, her spirit or her essence embodies men, women, um, you know, trees. Like she is everything. She can be anything. And they have a explicitly sexual relationship um, wherein Rick's sexual attraction just is fluid. It goes from pers- like whoever she, whoever her essence, her spirit, her energy is embodying, that's, you know, that's who he's into. So at Comic-Con, Rick and Morty co-creator Justin Rowland announced that Rick was pansexual, and it seemed like people thought he was joking, but he wasn't. And, you know, maybe Rick isn't the best representation of pansexual folks out there because he's not a very healthy person, but... Um, yeah, it's, it's, I still think it's cool to see pansexuality on screen and especially in things like Star Wars and, you know, Rick and Morty, because I think that the demographic of these shows are largely young men. I'm sure young men out there probably identify with these characters. And if they can get the sense that sexual fluidity is okay and that it's okay if you're sexually fluid, it's okay if people around you have sexual fluidity. It's okay if your sexuality does not fit into like a neat little box. That's all right. I think the demographic of these sci-fi shows and these cartoons having pansexual characters is especially important because I think, and, and maybe this is a misconception, I think for women, it's more accepted to sort of explore your sexuality and that you may, you you know, that's okay. Yeah. I think for men, it is very much not okay. And I think that these shows, it might sound dumb, but part of me wonders if they can be a little bit of a nod to to young men who are still sort of finding themselves to say, yo, if you don't quite know what your sexual vibe is, that's okay. And to back to your point about um, women exploring their sexuality more, perhaps we do have some numbers for you. But first we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. It turns out young folks overall these days are more likely to identify as pansexual. According to a 2015 study by Jay Walter, 82% of respondents between the ages of 12 to 19 reported uh, they didn't care about people's sexual orientation and about the same number said gender doesn't define us as much as it once did. That's great news. I actually think that you see that in so many different ways that make me think that we're creeping toward a society with less gender hangups. You know, the sort of popularity of gender-neutral clothing, you know, stores who no longer have a, quote, men's section and a women's section that's just clothes and whoever wants it can have it. Um, I think that young—I say this in the show all the time, you know, young folks— 
they are the ticket. You know, we gotta we gotta we gotta ride their wave a little bit. And <laughs> I think this is just one of many ways in which they've got it figured out more than their predecessors do or did or do. Yeah. Both. The same. (laughs) The teen LGBTQ survey conducted by the Human Rights Campaign in 2017 found that the number of young folks identifying as pansexual is at 14%, which is double what it was in 2012. The same survey found 34% of respondents identified as bi. Young folks that identify with pansexual or queer are also more likely to be non-cisgender and also more likely to be cisgender women than cisgender men. In some studies, five times more women identified as pansexual than men. All those celebrities I mentioned earlier, they were female. And the ones you mentioned, yeah, they were female too. And the fictional ones, a lot of them were men. Oh, isn't that interesting? Well, again, I think women, IRL, just to be clear, this is not, I'm not saying this is my opinion. I'm saying this is what I have seen in society. I think it is more acceptable for a woman to be with other genders and have that be okay and just have that be like a, like even if they even if there's someone who is straight have that be a journey to themselves or whatever i do not feel that we give men that same leeway and thus i it does not surprise me that less men identify this way yeah i hate to keep bringing up shows but there's an episode of the show insecure where one character is dating a guy who late and they and they're having a great relationship and the guy admits, oh, I once slept with a man, and that's a complete deal breaker for her. And, you know, I think that, again, this is not my opinion, but I think that we live in a society that gives men less space to explore their sexualities than we do women. Yeah, that that makes sense. And it, I kind of, it reminds me of how we were talking about in the fan fiction episode, how we see so many movies with the bromance where we just assume that, those are those are straight dudes, and they can have this relationship that we might otherwise read if a woman was in it as sexual. But because it's two dudes, we just like desexualize it immediately. Um, maybe part of it is that we don't give men the same as society. Not not me and Bridget. We yeah. don't have any say in the matter. <laughs> uh, we don't give them the same room to to explore and to experiment, or at least like not in the same kind of open way. Think about it. There are songs, you know, I kissed a girl and I liked it. There's that new Rita Ora song, Girls, which was a song that I found problematic for several reasons, but it is about sexual exploration. There are there are not anthems for men that are, you know, I touched a dick and I liked it. That's not a summer jam we're hearing on the radio. And so I think that it's much more perhaps normalized that young women are going to explore with young women and that's just something that happens and like sure there is this weird lens of sort of sexual titillation and male gaze and all of that all of that all of that but I don't see that with men yeah yeah and if if you do I think it's kind of going back to the Deadpool thing where it's very like jokey Mm -hmm. kind of hidden homophobia tied up into it yeah it's very like making fun of oh I went through this phase in like a, like a frat boy jokey manner. It's it's very specific, I find. Yeah. But uh, back to um, all of these young folks that have been participating in these surveys, they face uh, a lot of misconception. Dr. Kat Van Kirk, a clinical sexologist and family marriage therapist, told Teen Vogue, 
quote, pansexual teens sometimes struggle to find a community to identify with and get support from. Even within some LGBTQ organizations, there is a misunderstanding of what pansexuality is. Therefore, these teens may experience exclusion and isolation. They're also at higher risk for being harassed regarding their orientation. They may find it difficult to date when potential partners don't understand or are intimidated by who they are attracted to. So, yeah, I hope that with more education and understanding and seeing more and better portrayals of this in our media, we will move we will move this conversation forward and give these young people um, a safe space or, yeah, to just be themselves. I hope so, too. Yeah. Because there's nothing that sucks quite like being isolated from your own community. Oh, yeah. From feeling sort of double marginalized. Yeah, absolutely. So that's been our episode on pansexuality. I hope that uh, it was useful. And in the meantime, it brings us to listener Listener mail. Look at us saying things at the same time. (laughs) We're so cool. We've got mind meld. We've got podcast co-host mind meld. The mind meld. I've heard. It's real. It is. Long suspected. Now you know. Megan wrote, Thank you so much for your podcast on women and pain. I struggled with this myself. I have always had weird symptoms, gastrointestinal distress, hives, extreme swelling and reaction to insect bites, and had difficulty getting doctors to take me seriously. When I was in college, my symptoms started getting worse. My mother suspected that I might have celiac disease because she had been recently diagnosed. She took me to see multiple gastroenterologists, and I was told to Get Dr. Google out of my head. I was misdiagnosed for about a year during which my symptoms persisted. I was pretty much only able to keep down soup, baby food, and smoothies. I even went to the Mayo Clinic and was told, can you eat bell peppers? Can you eat lettuce? There's a salad. See, you can eat. It wasn't until a year later when my primary care doc, my first female doctor, noticed that my liver enzymes and antibody levels were high that I received a diagnosis of, you guessed it, celiac disease. Five years later, and my symptoms are mostly under control as long as I don't consume gluten. I credit my mom for getting me through that time. She helped me advocate for myself. Even when I felt discouraged by all the gaslighting by doctors, she gave me the motivation to continue. If I could give any advice to someone experiencing the same thing, I would tell them to build a good support network and document everything. Every doctor, every test, every time you experience pain and bring that documentation with you. It's harder for them to ignore. Also, doctors work for you. You are not at their mercy. That idea helped me a lot. And yes, this sounds like really good advice. And it's been overwhelming to hear from so many women who have similar stories. Um, It's really infuriating. But I, I am glad that we're having this conversation. And please keep those stories coming as angry as it makes us to read them. It's good to know. It's good to have this community and to know what other women are going through and hopefully learn from that. Absolutely. Mike wrote, I was listening to your comments on men saying they support women because they have a sister, a daughter, or whatever. This reminded me a lot of something Dan Savage often points out, that conservatives are usually anti-gay until a close relative or friend comes out. He makes that same point about being anti-stem cell research until your kid gets cancer or anti-abortion until your mistress gets pregnant, etc. 
This got me wondering if there are just differences in people's brain that, that make them more or less capable of imagining and caring about the situations of unrelated or different people. It would explain a lot about the kinds of political decisions people make and what camp they fall into. Mike, that's actually really interesting. I hadn't thought about that, that um, some people, until they have a personal experience with it that they can see, maybe there's some kind of empathy gap where they can't empathize with others, put themselves in other shoes until they are in that position. Yeah, I remember that being a big kind of tweet going around at one point when we were arguing about, um, like, healthcare, and somebody tweeted, I can't convince, I don't know how to convince someone to care about someone else. Um, yeah, I, I think, I personally think people are capable of convincing themselves of pretty much anything if they want to and justifying pretty much any action if they want to. I agree. Um, when I was working with young people, we would, one of the ways that we would teach like kids who bullied or kids who were mean to other kids, we would, like if, if you hit another kid, we would say, what if he hit you? And they'd be like, well, I wouldn't like that. You know, it took, it's funny watching young children process empathy of, well, it's like when I hit him, I thought it was funny, but when I got hit, I didn't like it. Yeah. Pretty- what does this mean? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, maybe some of these people need to have that lesson yeah. taught to them. Maybe, maybe. Um, thank you to both of them for writing in. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is momstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can also find us on social media, can't you, Bridget? Yeah, we are on social media. We are on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast, on Instagram at Stuff Mom Never Told You. And as always, major, major thanks to our producer, Dylan Fagan, for listening to us burp in the studio. Well, hopefully he cut that part out. But yes, <laughs> thanks to Dylan and also Kathleen Quillian for editing. 